This is Betty Farnell. I don't know who to call, but I can't reach my foodaholics partner. I'm at Vito's on my second pizza with sausage and mushroom. Jim, come and get me. Welcome to 200 Today, the podcast where we talk about the 70s television detective show, The Rockford Files. I'm Nathan Paletta. And I'm Epidiah Ravishaw. And we're back again with a, with a big one. Um, Epi, this was your pick. Mm-hmm. What episode are we talking about this time? We are going to talk about lions, tigers, monkeys, and dogs. Uh, that's the title of a single episode. It's not um, four separate episodes. Mm. Uh, I chose this one because Lauren Bacall's in it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've we've talked previously. We're on the we've done a hundred episodes. Uh, we're on the other half of the the Rockford Files Hill. Um, we're gonna stop. We're gonna start running out of uh, reasons to choose episodes, other than we haven't done that episode yet. Mm. Which doesn't mean that these are bad episodes or anything like that. Yeah, it's just it's hard to come up with a reason for an episode. Right. Yeah. So, so who's in it is as good as any. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is one that I definitely have kind of been pushing off. Like when I've been making a pick, been like, mm, mm-hmm. for the combination of I remember really liking it, so I wanted to be like ready. Mm-hmm. to do it and also it is a two-hour episode that's the fortunate thing is that i am uh, a bit of a dummy head and didn't pay attention to the length of the episode when i suggested <laughs> it and so you were like hey that's uh i'm, I'm comfortable doing that but it's a two-hour i don't think i would have picked it if it was a two-hour one mm-hmm. but because i did pick it i was like yeah let's do it let's yeah, do it the fact that you picked it made me go okay i'm, yeah. I'm ready um <laughs> Yeah, so it's a it's a double episode. So it aired in a two hour slot. It is the runtime is like an hour 36 or something like that. Yeah. And then so it's one of those episodes where it's conceived of and shot as a single episode. It originally aired as a two hour episode. And then it was subsequently split into two episodes for syndication. Um, So it is one of those where the IMDb entry is a single entry. But -hmm. depending on where you are looking, it the the length of the sixth season has different numbers of episodes in it, depending on whether. So this is season six, episode two. Sometimes it is episode two and three if it's tracking the syndicated version. I honestly, maybe maybe you noticed it, but I could not really tell where the divide would be. So I guessed based on the runtime, mm-hmm. I had a hard time finding just like a source of the information. So what I ended up doing was looking at the um, IMDb TV episodes because those are the syndicated version. So I scrubbed to the end to see where the episode break was. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I mean, it's not in like a weird place, but it did slightly surprise me where it was. So maybe I'll, I'll call it out when we get to it and you can tell me what you think. Yeah. I definitely have, have a positive memory of this one. I remember thinking that Lauren Bacall was just fantastic. Yeah. I didn't remember the story, really. Uh, and I had a strong memory of the first scene and the last scene but I did not really remember much of what was in the middle. So it was, <laughs> so it was fun to, to sit down and watch kind of re-experience it. Yeah. 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 I actually did not have a strong memory of this one, which, which was also weird, but um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I mean, we'll get into it. Obviously mm-hmm. um, there, there are some parts of it where I'm like, I actually don't know what, mm-hmm. what this is or what's happening. Uh, and maybe we can work that out together. Yeah, when I say I remember the first and last scene, I remember the 
visuals, but I I didn't remember the like plot. Like I didn't remember the resolution that's in the last scene, but yeah. I remember but the visual of it was very strong in my memory for some reason. So this is a long one um with a pretty pretty good amount of stuff to chew on, I think. So I'll keep the pre- prelims pretty brief. Mm-hmm. This is directed by William Ward. Uh we still have about 8 of his 26 episodes uh to <laughs> go so um maybe that could be one organizing principle uh maybe we'll finish out the the ward episodes yeah this one is written by juanita bartlett which is mm-hmm. always a pleasure um yeah. and i think has a good strong feel to it of a like of, of a, a bartlett episode uh, seeing her that she had written it was the other thing that put me over the top to recommending this one like i was like oh uh lauren bacall That'll be fun. I'd like to see Lauren Bacall in the Rockford Files. And then I was, oh, we Juanita Bartlett yep. wrote it. Okay, yeah, I'm in. Not that I needed arm twisting, but but yeah. like that's a good sign. Yeah, yeah. There's, I think we've we probably mentioned that. I just think it's a theme. Like I think I just think it's a strong theme in the episodes she's written. Her episodes tend to have these well drawn female characters. Yeah, right. And this is a good example of that. Um, so obviously, you know. Wendy Bartlett, we've talked about her before. She was uh, a big part of the show, um, coming up from being an, you know, essentially an assistant um, to, to Garner, to uh, uh, assistant producing, producing, writing, you know, all the, all the greats. Huge influence. But for whatever reason, I was like, oh, how many of these have we done? Because she has like 30 writing credits or something. Yeah. And they're split between teleplay credits, writing credits, and a couple story buys. Yeah. But I was just looking at her writing credits, not the teleplays. Uh, and we still have like five or six of those to go. Oh. But, um, which is exciting. Mm-hmm. But I was like, wow, this is really like a greatest hits list. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so let me, I'm not going to read all of them, but just the ones that I noted from ones that we talk about all the time. Her episodes include, but are not limited to, Counter Gambit, The Farnsworth Stratagem, So Help Me God, Hotel of Fear, <laughs> The Paper Palace, Never Send a Boy King to Do a Man's Job. <laughs> so, like, yeah, great episodes, and also a lot of the con game episodes. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So... I don't really have more about that. I just noted it on this pass and I was like, these are, yeah. Mm-hmm. At some point, maybe we'll do an assessment of like the writing, just like, I don't know. What is, what is the body of work of? We'll, we'll do our star studded Juanita Bartlett spectacular. Yeah. Something uh, like that. <laughs> but like, that's a, it is a strong list. Uh, and that's leaving off a couple that I was like, yeah, that was also a good episode, but mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you too can go to IMDb and look at her credits, but yeah uh so i was i was feeling good going into this one so because we were watching the unsyndicated version we only get the one answering machine message oh yeah so yeah there would have been two huh and we also only get the one preview montage right uh so when I checked the syndicated one, there is a different, you know, there is an, another um, answering machine message for the second episode. And they also, I don't remember if it's totally different, but I think they essentially replay the preview montage, but they just don't include a couple of the things that only happen in the first one. Yeah, I was trying to think of what happened in whether it be in one or the other. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't remember. It might be exactly the same, but uh, again, for syndication, the at the end of the first half 
there's a James Garner voiceover mm. you know, next time on the Rockford Files. And then at the beginning of the second half, there's a preview montage, the credits, and then another montage of the events of the first. Mm-hmm. So I just say that all here just to not say it again later. But also we just have uh, I don't think there's any distinctive difference in what they choose to highlight with the preview montage in syndication. But yeah, here we have a pretty compelling set of brief very brief scenes in our preview yeah. montage i mean like it, it's largely highlighting that you we're going to get some good back and forth banter between jim and kendall mm-hmm. uh who's um lauren bacall's character and uh the uh l- like good snappy banter going back and forth um I, I think the one thing that i pointed out uh was the, this moment where jim's like i'm middle america mm-hmm. uh which i feel like is going to uh, sort of point at our class issues that are going to be involved in what's going on here. And then um, it's just a classic way to end a preview montage. I don't know why it stood out on this one, because I think they've done this with almost all of them. Mm-hmm. It's just with the squealing of tires in an orchestra hit. So you just like, you, you get the momentum, right? right? Like they're, they're shoving you into the episode at the very end. After the phrase, I think someone's trying to kill her. Right, yes. Yeah, the, the class issues in this one are really pretty interesting um yeah i think you know we'll probably talk about that as it comes up but um it's of a mode and yet distinct from other class dynamics that jim and a love interest <laughs> have yes. had in the past did you know that we are a 100 percent listener supported show our patrons at patreon.com slash 200 a day keep us in the podcast business and in return receive exclusive episode previews as well as plus expenses a bonus podcast where we casually chat about media we're enjoying and the things going on in our lives we extend special thanks to our gumshoe patrons supporting this episode dale norwood wrote a book trading freedom how trade with china defined early america is about fast ships cheap drugs and american political economy published by the university of chicago press find it wherever good books are sold chuck from what you're reading dot com paul townend who recommends fruit loops serial killers of color at fruitloopspod.com shane liebling check out roll for your dot party for all of your online dice rolling needs jay adon showcasing his amazing miniature painting skills at jayadon.com dave p dave otterson kip holly matthew lee and greggy And finally, a very special thanks to our detective-level patrons for their generous support. Michael Zalisco, Eric Antenor, at Antenor on Twitter, Brian Pereira, at Thermoware, Bill Anderson, at BillAnd88, Jordan Bockelman, at Jordan Bockelman, and of course, Richard Haddam, at Richard Haddam. We follow them too, at 200pod. If you're interested in keeping us going for as little as $1 an episode, check out patreon.com slash 200 a day to see if becoming a patron is right for you again because this is a longer one i'll try to hit the high points as we go and then please call out anything that you want to talk about uh in more detail because we could spend all day with the great dialogue this one's an eminently quotable not quotable necessarily like quippy but like there's a lot like i i transcribed a lot of back and forth dialogue in my notes and (laughs) watch the episode Mm -hmm. that will be something we'll need to uh keep an eye on as we go however the beginning of the episode oh yeah is both super fun and also and and also really establishing a lot of the baseline (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
we get a high-class version of the theme, which I think is very important. Yeah, we get the orchestral version of the score is how yeah. I noted it. And an animated title sequence, which yeah. is possibly the only time it's in the show. I don't remember it happening in other episodes we've seen. I made a note of it, and also it's going to bring up one of my underlying questions about this entire thing, <laughs> which maybe we can put to rest. I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. This is all of a piece with, with, with framing Lauren Bacall as the star of this episode, yeah. right? Because yeah. like the animated titles, the orchestral score, this is all very golden age of Hollywood-esque mm-hmm. interpretation of the standard Rockford Files intro. Um, <laughs> and specifically, the animation of the titles is that we have individual words appear on the screen with specific people and then kind of jiggle and fly up to the top to where they start to where they finally spell out the, the title. Mm-hmm. So we start with lions and there's kind of like an older distinguished man and his group getting out of like a, a very expensive but like tasteful you know car this is all the valet area in front of this fancy restaurant yeah and then we have tigers and there's kind of just like a slick looking but basically like middle-aged normal guy and his group or his his date or whatever yeah and then monkeys and it's an open top uh like convertible with a, a guy with his tie askew and his date and they're laughing and they jump out over the side and clearly of a more raucous kind of variety and then of course we get and dogs as the firebird drives up and jim <laughs> gets out we have our full title spelled out for us with the you know, visual of exactly how this is all going to uh, apply to the to the scene as we go forward. So so my question that comes out of this uh, later on, we're going to get the inside scoop on what lions, monkeys and dogs are. Mm-hmm. I just don't know what tigers are. So there's a f- reference of a specific person who's a tiger in that conversation. Oh, is there? OK, I, I must have missed it. then. Yeah. All right. Well, when we get to it, we'll okay. get to it as we say here on um, 200 today. I mean, I think it's pretty like uh, my read just from how it's framed with the credits is like old money, old money, new money, celebrity. Yeah. Everyone else. Yeah. Or like old money, like professional, like rich, but not famous. Yeah. And yeah. then just famous and probably rich and then not rich or famous. Yeah. Uh, that, that was my take again, solely from the opening yeah. credits. Like, uh, well, from the opening credits and then when we get the distinction later exactly on. yeah um so jim's on a date i don't remember if we get her name <laughs> i don't know I, I, let me check imdb real which quick. is a shame uh so jim's on a date his date is excited to like celebrity spot at this very fancy mm-hmm. um restaurant the gag throughout the first and, and by gag i guess i mean drama <laughs> throughout the first part of this uh scene is that jim has made a reservation and the maitre d at the restaurant is bending over backwards for everyone else but jim well he's still gonna have to wait um yeah. he tells him to wait in the bar for 20 minutes before their table's ready this is after the monkey from our credits has kind of bowled his way in and and been like oh so so sorry but me and, and he doesn't even know his his date's name yeah you know, we just decided we'd swing by. You can hook us up, right? Like kind of thing. And the maitre d', of course, ushers them to a table. Um, Jim is just trying to make things right. 
He says, I see you have tables. Well, yes, but I have reservations. Yeah. And one of them is mine. <laughs> yes. And that is when the party of um, Princess Irene Rochevsky, uh, which includes Kendall, uh, Kendall Warren, uh, Lauren Bacall. Princess Irene is played by Dana Winter, who is low-key also excellent in this episode. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about her a little more later. And they have a whole party with them. Um, but they appear, they also don't have a reservation. Um, the Major D's like, I'll seat you myself. And Jim intervenes again. And I like how he very specifically says, I'm not trying to ruin your night. Yeah. However, I do have a reservation and I mm-hmm. it was for eight o'clock. And if I wanted to sit at the bar for 20 minutes, I would have shown up 20 minutes ago. Yeah. Like his, his handling of this is really good. And I think puts him in this. Well, they, they're very careful to have jim's date like do you know who this man is he's a famous private eye right right yeah you may not know him but he's a prominent private investigator yeah and and that uh um this interaction is going to put him in the middle of everything that's going to happen next uh which is great yeah the princess says she wouldn't feel comfortable waiting for a table while mr rockford has to wait or Mm -hmm. Wouldn't feel comfortable getting a table while Mr. Rockford has to wait. And so the major D takes that as intended. That is servicing us, seating this man. Yeah. So he does seat, seat Rockford and his date <laughs> at the table next to the kitchen. Yes. Where the door from the kitchen hits Jim's chair every time it opens. It's a good ongoing gag. I really enjoyed that. It's, it's a good gag. And it's also like, on the one hand, just move your chair to the other side of the table. But yeah, on the yeah. other hand, Jim's like... I was sat here. I'm already grumpy about it. And I'm just going to let this be a thing for me to be mad about. Like, I'm going to endure this indignity because I'm already mad. Whatever else transpires here, we have our deepest sympathies for Jim's date. Yes. This is not going to go well. I know. She, yeah, she's a trooper. Mm -hmm. Jim wants to send a thank you bottle of wine to the princess's table. The princess thinks only Chateau Patrice, the 67. Well, that's fine, but uh, shall we have something from the Fernando Vineyards? Oh, uh, light, full-bodied, good nose on it, huh? The princess drinks only Chateau Patrice. It'll be a nice change of pace. And then we cut from there to seeing the unopened bottle of wine that Jim sent to them while they're drinking the expensive wine. And so Jim's sore about that. He's having coffee (laughs) with his date. His date is saying that the food was so great. And like this restaurant actually lived up to expectations and you expect things not to be as good as they sound. But this was wonderful. And Jim's just grumbling. She specifically says, like, I'm having a really good time. Let it go. Just enjoy this. This is this is really fun. And then Jim gets hit by the door again. Yeah. And says, we're not here. We're in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. You can see, one of the things I really like about the scene is that you can see that Jim can tell when he's wrong about something. And you can see him pulling around to her side on it just as the door hits him. Mm-hmm. I, like, I don't know if like I'm reading too much into what's happening here, but it, it feels very much like uh, the timing on this is is magnificent, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, like, we're all expecting that door to hit him. There's no surprise <laughs> that the door hits him. It's yeah. the fact that he, you could see him be like, yeah, I've been kind of an ass. Let me, let me relax and enjoy this. And then the door hits him. Yeah. And then, yeah, it's great. Um, we get the rest of our credits over seeing some cars driving <laughs> um, back to this hotel where the princess is staying. And we get a shot of what I note as a suspiciously goon looking guy chain smoking yeah. while he drives and then while he's clearly waiting. 
we have some voiceover of Kendall and uh, the princess um, kind of sniping at each other about like whether she should have left the hotel, whether she should have gone to dinner. Mm-hmm. We we get the, the sense that they have this kind of contentious relationship for whatever reason, though they also clearly spend time together. Mm-hmm. We will find out like we know that we will find out more about all of these people because that's the show we're watching. We recognize Lauren Bacall. We, yes, we definitely <laughs> recognize Lauren Bacall. You know, star of, of stage and screen. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I don't know if she was on stage, but star of screen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what you say. She's an iconic, iconic mid-century <laughs> movie star. And there's this this thing cutting with the guy with the cigarette, right? Mm-hmm. That's going on with this that creates uh, attention in the scene. I, there's a thing. I want, we'll talk about it. Well, okay. I don't think he finishes his cigarettes as he's smoking them. So there's this sort of nervous energy going yeah, on. Yeah. And, I, and uh, I read something into that that we'll, we'll talk about a little later. Um, but all of that kind of makes this argument and hurt. Like she opens the door and it feels dangerous. <laughs> I was thinking about this actually kind of mostly in terms of the last scene, but I think it applies to a lot of it. This is a heavy vibes episode Mm -hmm. there's a lot of vibe built up to all these little choices and all these little ways that things are staged and all the acting and you know everything between the voiceover of them sniping the shots of this goon and his nervous smoking it feels like something is about to happen um and what in fact does happen is that kendall so she's going to take the wine that they that jim sent to their table and they never drank she's going to take it and then the uh the princess is like or Irene. Kendall calls her Reenie, I think. Yeah, I've never heard that version of Irene, but it, it works. Whatever, Irene. And I think we'll kind of go back and forth with princess or Irene, depending <laughs> on the, the context. Um, I mean, Rocky would call her princess. <laughs> but she um she won't let Kendall take the wine because it was sent to me. Uh, yeah. So it's another little thing where they're kind of facing off. And Kendall's the one, like, Irene left the wine in the restaurant. Kendall's the one who picked it up on the way out. Yeah. Yeah. So she gets out, and then as she gets out of the car in front of the hotel, this other car shoots from out of nowhere and, like, tries to run her down, and she dives out of the way. And it's very chaotic, and there's yelling, and people run over to her, and she's okay. She was not hit. She just broke the heel of her shoe. (laughs) I just forgot there were so many jackass drivers in California. (laughs) So this is, uh, this didn't actually click in my head until much later in the episode, but uh, there's a little bit going on here that she has returned to California from living life large elsewhere and has, looks down on California a little bit. And that shows up a couple times, um, but mainly at the end. And uh, it, it, it didn't strike me as I was watching it until uh, after the whole episode was over. And I was like, oh, that, that's something that's, that's being told to us. Yeah, for sure. So we crossfade to jim's trailer this is an excellent food episode oh yeah (laughs) mostly in context of jim and his poor stomach yes what we specifically come to is rocky is cutting out steak and chicken teriyaki coupons out of the newspaper (laughs) but jim's not really interested uh the food at that restaurant had sauce with everything even the coffee (laughs) He's too rich for him. I think this is the first bit where we see him uh, drinking, uh, like taking the Alka-Seltzer, right? Yeah. So there's two things about this that happen. One, we're going to watch the (laughs) Alka-Seltzer. Mount up. uh, Yeah. Escalate 
so he just takes one this time but uh we're we're gonna we're gonna do the one two three mm. um and then the other is that he's he's got a, a gallon jug of water and I, I don't know what's happening there like is, is jim's tap water not work or is this a thing that in the 70s people like would get distilled water if their stomach mm. wasn't doing well or anything like I that know. i don't know uh, but i it, he does it each time <laughs> and so it kind of stands out to me a little bit mm. that's his special upset tummy water <laughs> yeah that's what i was wondering is like um i mean like i can kind of understand if you're getting an upset tummy and you might think like who knows about the water i'm getting from the tap here that's coming out of the parking lot near the, right. the beach that you know yeah i've never thought about it before but does he just have to like hook up a garden hose to the trailer to get like yeah. where does i mean obviously trailers have yeah. to hook up for like plumbing and stuff but um yeah i wonder <laughs> well jim he is off for it for a gig he doesn't know how long it's going to take and he drops that princess Rocheski has a job for him <laughs> and rocky is so impressed yeah oh man yes so we're going to get a lot of Rocky being extremely overawed at the idea of Jim working for a princess. Mm-hmm. And then we have a wonderful gag here where Jim goes to, you know, he's going to leave. He opens the door and Angel standing right there in the doorway <laughs> in his leather jacket coming right in. He goes directly to the fridge as Jim goes, oh, come in, want a beer? And he goes like, oh, you got something else? <laughs> as he's opening Jim's beer. But Angel's seeing Jimmy because he has a tip on a race. He has mm-hmm. a, some someone he knows is working, working at the track or something. He's saying it's a sure thing. There is such a thing as protocol, Sonny. Now that lady ain't about to stand around cooling her heels while you're wasting time making a bunch of sucker bets. Sucker bets? Would I bring you a sucker bet? You'd bring me a dead rat in your teeth if you thought there was 20 bucks in it for you. Now get out of my way. I'm leaving. I am late. Yeah. Promptness is a courtesy of kings. <laughs> so we're getting the, the first uh, bit of the subplot of Angel and his and his uh, making, making moves involving ponies, mm-hmm. which will come back. Yes. <laughs> and in service of that, Jim is stepping out the door. Rocky is almost irate that Jim is making this princess wait. Mm-hmm. Like, what is going? What is Jim's problem? Right. And so Jim says she's just another princess. And then Angel is like, princess. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he is extremely interested. Uh, but Jim leaves before he can get more information. But Angel does try to pump Rocky for some information. Yes. And Rocky is like, you better not think about it, Angel. <laughs> um, the, I I love this scene because of the three different ways they each react to the fact that she's a princess, right? Mm-hmm. Like Rocky knows nothing about the situation and is over the moon that his son knows a princess. Jim couldn't care one way or the other. <laughs> it's a client. Like, it's just mm-hmm. a client. Uh, and Angel, clearly, uh, dollar signs yeah. in his eyes. Yeah, his wheels are immediately turning. Yeah. I also really love uh, Angel's familiarity with Rocky in this scene. Mm-hmm. And it, it, like he just is unaware that Rocky does not like him. <laughs> we we low-key get some good like Angel and Rocky without mm-hmm. Jim and also Angel and Dennis without Jim. Yeah. In yeah. this one, uh, which is fun. We have accordion back in the soundtrack. <laughs> By back, I mean accordion in the soundtrack. <laughs> Specifically, kind of like a, we're going to Paris kind of mm-hmm. 
sound as Jim goes to this fancy hotel to see Princess Irene, Princess Rachevsky. Uh, and she, she, she immediately, I think, solves whatever lingering uh, problems he might have with her, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, she invites him in. She immediately says that she neglected to thank him for the wine. And she's like, will you share it with me? And this, I, I like this. It's kind of subtle, I think. But he says, well, the maitre d' told me that you only drink the, you know, yeah. whatever, the expensive wine. And she says, huh, well, he would say that. It's the most expensive one on the menu. But yeah. she doesn't say, yes, I only drink that. <laughs> like, yeah. I think she also, that is also pretty much what she drinks. But she is willing to open this wine and she pours one for Jim. It's nice. There's a thing we're getting here uh, with this and the earlier scene with Kendall. And and this will evolve as the, as the episode goes. These two women, despite what we expect of them from their outward class signifiers, uh, these two women know the value of a dollar. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is weird mm-hmm. and not mm-hmm. like, like this is the most bizarre thing, but um, it, it, it both endears them to Jim, uh, but also is, is a hint at what's to come. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. So now that Jim is at his ease, she lays out her problem, uh, mm-hmm. which she has a suspicion and she can't go to the police on just a suspicion, but she thinks that someone is trying to kill her friend, Kendall. Kendall Warren is a very special friend who will stand up to her when she needs to. But when the fighting is over, their relationship is still, you know, just as strong as ever. Yeah. I think Jim says something like, well, that's, you know, that's vanishingly rare. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, Kendall feels like she's been being watched. She was this uh, almost ridden down by this car. And that seemed very deliberate. Jim asks if she has any enemies. None that, that Irene knows of. But she does want Jim just to look into it and see mm-hmm. what he can find out. Obviously, knowing that he's a private investigator because of their encounter the previous evening. And he can start this afternoon at a party thrown by Blake Sternlight. <laughs> Does he have a relationship with Kendall? Oh, he doesn't have relationships. He has parties. <laughs> and we go to a fancy masquerade party on a boat. Mm-hmm. We again get ominous vibes right from the beginning as we see the like binocular cut in of someone spying and then we see that it is our chain smoker in mm-hmm. a car on like in a parking lot far away watching the arriving cars and again i don't think he's finishing these cigarettes he's fiddling with them in the ashtray there's a he has a nervous energy about him mm. um and i will i will elaborate on that later <laughs> jim so jim attends with Princess Irene and her 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 beau. Um, his name is Freddie, I believe. Freddie Danzig. Freddie Danzig, which is, <laughs> he is he is the least Danzig. Yeah. <laughs> like if you wanted someone the opposite of Danzig mm-hmm. and then named him Freddie, that would that would be this guy. He doesn't really have a whole lot to do with anything until kind of the, the end of the, the episode. Yeah. But he he he's in orbit. Um. So they're all in costume, and Jim specifically is in a, like, graduation cap and gown. <laughs> okay, yeah. It seems about right. <laughs> we cut back to our goon who pulls a switchblade from under the floor mat of his car. Mm-hmm. And then as he gets out of the car, we see he's wearing, like, a brown, like, monk robe. He's going as a Jedi. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, we got a couple just glimpses of his face, I think, in the first little montage. Um, from here on, we just have the ominous shots of his like kind of body as he's moving yeah. through the, the, the crowd. On the boat, uh, Kendall is talking to the their host, uh, Blake, 
and a man named Gus Fairfield. <laughs> and we get a little bit of background from Jim and Princess Irene talking. She specifically says that that Gus is a very appropriate Marquis de Sade, and that's <laughs> his costume, um, and that she doesn't want to have anything to do with him. We get part of Kendall and Gus's conversation from just the camera giving it to us a little bit. And then we see Jim kind of moving in the background um, where they're kind of bantering. And then Gus mentions uh, a lawsuit that the princess has filed against him. And Kendall's like, I'm not going to discuss that. Yeah. Jim appears with champagne, uh, offers her a glass. She, uh, she says, no, thanks. She wants to go get some air. And so she leaves and Jim is standing there awkwardly holding these two (laughs) glasses of wine where he clearly had kind of a plan Mm -hmm. during this whole time. We're getting running commentary from Blake, uh, about all the guests costumes, some criticism, some celebration, whatever. And he's, he's Robin hood. Mm -hmm. Um, he's upset that, uh, Gus hasn't mentioned it. Right. Even after he had already told Gus that his costume was good. <laughs> like, right, there's right, a little... yeah. like, come on. And it's not just that it's, you know, it's not just his costume. It's part of a, you know, a theme. Mm-hmm. He says, baby is here as Friar Tuck. See, there <laughs> he is. And then he points and we see the Friar robe. And then the person looks kind of out of their hood. He's like, oh, that's not baby. And that's yeah. our goon. Mm-hmm. Um, this is about when Jim hands them each a glass of wine that he's just been holding there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they kind of are like, we don't know who you are. Thanks. Like you must yeah. be one of the staff or something. <laughs> he's one of the dogs. Yeah. Uh, and he uh, follows our, our friar um, upstairs to the main deck of this boat. We slide into another ominous set of shots. Like we've been going from these very standard mm-hmm. people are talking shots into these, you know, up from below, not seeing anyone's faces, uh, shots as Jim follows this, this man and he's moving towards Kendall. She's standing at the rail, looking out over the water. And then we see him palm this, the knife This is all with the diegetic party music. And Jim sees the knife tackles him and yells you know yells out Kendall and takes him down to the to the deck before he can do anything a couple other guests come over to help but he struggles free and runs and then jumps overboard to escape from being detained he doesn't uh you don't witness him jumping overboard you witness Jim because there's this moment during this whole thing where I'm like this is more brazen than I expected at mm-hmm. all. Like this broad yeah. daylight, just stabbing on a boat full of people. Mm-hmm. Like, sure, you're in costume, but like, what's your plan? <laughs> yeah, what's your plan? And then, like, uh, Jim at some point chasing him mm-hmm. comes up to a railing, and there's you know the the gurgling water beneath where it's clear that he's jumped down. I think we heard the splash. Like we heard a splash. Yeah. Oh, and we heard yeah, someone yeah. go like someone went overboard. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's it's very like like what is going on here? Like because the first attempt could have just been a hit and run, mm-hmm. but this is murder. This this isn't an accident. Mm-hmm. I think that's giving like a good. That's it's setting up this really strong dissonance. Like I think we as audience were like clearly this is yeah. murder. Like he was going. That was the plan. In our next scene, the princess is upset. Um, Kendall is upset that jim told irene yes that someone tried to kill her and he's like well the police are gonna want to question everyone anyway mm-hmm. uh, blake is there and he goes oh great there goes my party yeah 
All right, Blake, give it a rest. <laughs> but Kendall says that uh, oh, he wasn't after my life. He was after this. And she has this giant pin that's covered in diamonds. And yeah. it's like, it's worth 75. It was worth what? 75 or 80,000 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. I guess. So the distance that I'm talking about is I think we see that for some reason, Kendall mm-hmm. is very invested in not believing that someone is trying to kill her. Yes, exactly. And Jim is I mean, obviously Jim is on board now, like completely. Like, yeah. And Jim's like, I saw that that was attempted murder. <laughs> <laughs> like you don't pull a switchblade on someone to like steal a, pin yeah gus appears he asks what's going on irene doesn't want anyone to talk to him if anything appears in that paper of yours i'll know the source mm-hmm. and he he mentions uh his first amendment rights and how you know they i guess in europe they you know you don't care about such things <laughs> and uh, she says that he has a very odd interpretation of first amendment rights everyone kind of uh leaves Princess is still upset. Mm-hmm. Uh, Blake and Gus are going back into the party, and it leaves Kendall and Jim alone. And she uh, finally has an opportunity to thank him. So I I went back and made this noted where this was because of the next scene. Mm-hmm. But in the background, we hear Blake go, "Hey, everyone! Gus has a great new restaurant to show us." Yeah, I remember that. One of the the reasons why that stuck in my head is that like I I had a job where I had a boss who was a millionaire. Mm-hmm. Filthy rich, just a filthy rich person. Must be nice. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and part of the, this wasn't my part of the job, but part of this company that he owned, or he and his wife owned, was a, a sign company. They they did billboards and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to go to lunch, and he was like, "Hey guys, to the crew, like let's go, let's go grab some lunch." And he gets in a a sign truck with like these giant ladder on the back of it, and backed it out onto a busy highway, and it just. The, like a another semi going by just clips it and he just keeps like the corrugated side of the semi hitting this ladder making this noise as it's just crumbling and just deteriorating so there's an accident right like this nobody's hurt or anything like that the semi pulls over to the side of the board my boss jumps out of the truck gets in his car and just goes to the restaurant <laughs> uh-huh rich people don't understand mm-hmm anything they just don't they just don't understand so when that line came out i was like yeah no these are rich people they don't yeah. an attempted murder you have to stick you can't just go uh but everyone's everyone's going out to eat yeah um kendall can't face going back to the party and so jim asks if she'd be interested in a green corn tamale and mm-hmm. refrieds with a mexican beer jimbo with the people's diet mm-hmm. i love it Strictly paper napkins, of course. Yes. And so I think this is the first time we, or at least the first time that I see Jim's read on Kendall. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, for whatever reason, identified that she is maybe not as, I don't know, snobby or yeah. isn't as, you know, detached I mean, as the rest of these Richie Riches. She is the one who, when they left the restaurant before, went back and grabbed the wine mm. and like nodded to Jim. Right. And, like, right. Thank you. Right. Like, so there's a thing going on here that again, like, I think it's a class thing mm-hmm. and this seems to fulfill it. And she, th- this is, I mean, we're not going to go through all of it, but what a wonderful flirty moment. This is a wonderful idea. Do you often have wonderful ideas? All the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's just great. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, this is this is probably a good time to talk about them. So the next the, the next scene is driving the Firebird, mm-hmm. and we get a little more of her story. She was originally from the area, the Simi Valley, I think. Mm-hmm. But she doesn't recognize the place. Everything has changed. There's no landmarks. And, and you know, Jim is like, oh, I didn't know you were from, you know, you're from from out here. And so they have some banter. It's kind of flirty. Mm-hmm. She used to go to this one place. It, it started with L something. And he's like, <laughs> they all start with L something. Uh, but it had a chili riano that would take the top of your head off. And he makes some mention of like, well, you know, oh, you like spicy? Well, hopefully this place is spicy enough for you or something. Mm-hmm. And she asks him why he keeps half apologizing for where they're going. And that kind of hits him. Yeah. You know, I, I guess I might be a little intimidated. And yeah. she says, oh, by me? And then she laughs and laughs. Uh, so I think this is kind of giving us that Jim's read was right on yeah. kind of her personality and what she might be interested in. Uh, and it also gives us our first real look at the James Garner, Lauren Bacall <laughs> chemistry, yes, which is just yeah. exquisite. Yeah. No, this is good stuff. Yeah. I guess there was a rumor at the time that they were dating. Oh, really? Apparently. <laughs> I believe the rumor. I, I can believe that there would be a rumor. Yeah. I guess there was like a brief, there was a brief period of time where James Garner and his wife separated and then ah. they got back together and it was like around this time and he had done a movie I forget if it was a TV movie or a, a movie movie with Lauren Bacall that also came out this year. And then they also did this episode. So I guess there was some rumor that they were yeah. seeing each other, but they both uh, denied that that was the case. Um, though Garner did has said in interviews that like, she's wonderful to work with. Mm-hmm. They've had so much fun together, like all that stuff. Um, but yeah, they, they are super fun to watch. And I think Lauren Bacall in particular just seems so natural Mm -hmm. and it's not like i have a lot to compare her to especially at this period because you know you think of kind of like stuff with like humphrey bogart and stuff like you know like yeah yeah, the older stuff older stuff um because she's a little older here she's older than garner by a couple years um Mm -hmm. and i think that is i wouldn't say played up but it's not played down yeah um it's again very natural uh just her presentation in the in the show and yeah she i mean i guess this is a good actor but like she doesn't seem like she's acting <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> there is a very natural thing going on here i mean, okay like i my note on this is a little bit later on but this this is where i start to wonder is this the romantic comedy where eventually he's got to reveal to her that he's been hired to hang out with her mm-hmm. right like uh and then and then she's upset with him or whatever and we actually do get those beats but they're not they're not the point of the story yeah yeah, yeah. um this chemistry is worth the tick the price of admission to this mm-hmm. episode alone yeah. so yes yeah. yeah and in addition there are a lot of very strong points to the episode <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> the next bit here is that they're going to this place the uh speaking of other strong points other strong points the baja yeah. cantina jim says it was kind of a chance find when he was in this area mm-hmm. on like a repo job um <laughs> it's kind of off the beaten track whatever whatever as he's saying this, I think we're seeing that there's a lot of people at this yeah. restaurant. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then they go in and Jim sees the, I guess, the owner, Max, mm-hmm. and goes up and is like, hey, Max. And Max is surprised to see him, you know, glad to see him. But, oh, no, they don't have a reservation, so he can't sit them. <laughs> it's like, what do you mean? Just give us a table and send out a waitress? I think it'll all fall into place. But mm-hmm. Jim does not realize that this has become an it spot. 
behind his back. Yeah. And then Gus and the whole party from the boat, they come roaring in as this was the new restaurant that Gus had to show everyone. Yeah. And we get a great little bit of voiceover as everyone's coming in where someone's like, it's not dreary at all. <laughs> Which I thought was funny. Gus only discovered this place three weeks ago uh, and invites Kendall and Jim to join their parties if they don't have a reservation. Mm-hmm. But he can strongly recommend the green corn tamales. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have a wonderful establishing down shot of the plate with the beans on one side, the rice on the other, the tamale smothered in sauce in the middle. Mm-hmm. Magnifique. Or magnifico, <laughs> I suppose I should say. Yeah. Jim, of course, is grumpy. Um, this was mm-hmm. his thing and it's been taken away. Right. Uh, but what he says when called out by Kendall is that he he can't relate to these people. Like he's at the table with them, but like what is he supposed to talk to these people about? He feels ridiculous, um, kind of just in, in their company, inclu- and Kendall asks him, like, including, you know, do you feel ridiculous with the princess? Mm-hmm. Kendall says that Again, they have a special relationship. They're good friends. Irene has seen Kendall through two bad marriages, a case of shingles, and more mistakes than she cares to remember. <laughs> we do see Jim taking bites of his tamale during this scene, mm-hmm. so you know it's good. And this is also where we get to the stuff, the Middle America stuff from the preview montage. Why is it that Middle America can't quite deal with titles? I'm Middle America. Stars and stripes forever. All right, all right maybe titles seem... Well, I don't want to say phony, but they seem a little old world to me. I don't think so. I think they impress you. Oh, brother. There's a story about one of the guys at the table who's a something barren, something, something, something. And then Kendall reveals that, like, while that's all true, he bought his title. (laughs) And Jim's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Like $200,000 or something. But that seems to legitimately make Jim feel better. Mm Mm-hmm. He's just a regular guy with money, like, mm-hmm. and somehow that's qualitatively different from someone who has a hereditary title. Yeah, some sort of birthright thing or or what have you. Through this this conversation, we also learn that this lawsuit deal is that Gus libeled Irene in his paper, and so mm-hmm. she's suing him for everything he's got. Uh, and it's pretty pretty serious case. And Gus has been trying to get Kendall to like spill to him about it, and she's not going to do it. But that doesn't mean that they can't take him up on his offer to sit down and eat because otherwise they wouldn't have gotten that table. Mm -hmm. It's like class interest wins out over the personal um, the personal difficulties. Uh, Jim does do he does take bites of the tamale, but I noticed that he does a lot of pushing food around his plate Mm -hmm. while this is happening. Again, you know, we've got this fun thing happening where each time he goes to a restaurant, he's clearly uncomfortable in the situation. He had they have the reservation gag each time. Right. You know, the first time he made a reservation didn't matter. And the second time he should have made a reservation. He should have known better. Um, And yeah, I really enjoyed that. And and yeah, we get a lot of good, good stuff about the different worlds here. Mm -hmm. Like what 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 it's. um, uh the world that Kendall's coming from that Jim doesn't quite understand yet, yeah. but he's learning. And he has a knee-jerk, knee-jerk response to be like both dismissive and, uh, I don't know, contemptuous a little bit. Yeah, yeah. In the way that I think we would come to expect in the kind of like middle class, I work for a living yeah. kind of attitude. And, and there's that lovely... And I'm not entirely sure what's meant by this, but when she's like middle America, he goes, you think I'm middle America? And I don't know, like, 
what their two definitions of it are <laughs> uh, that's that's causing this. I think that's interesting because it's. I mean, I think you're right that they're not quite talking about the same thing. Yeah. And yeah. so this is just me reading into it from the characters as established. But I think when Kendall says middle America, she means middle class. Yeah. And when Jim says middle America, he means like someone from the Midwest. Yeah, I think that might be what's happening. And I think yeah. those are slightly different things. He's like, yeah. I'm not I'm not middle America. Like, <laughs> I'm a self-employed detective in California. That yeah, is not middle America. I live in Malibu. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> but she but I think she's saying like this is that's a very middle class reaction mm-hmm. for an American or yeah. rather a an American who is middle class, I expect that reaction from you. Like, of this knee-jerk, like, like uncom- you're uncomfortable because you're saying, well, you're not better than me, but you kind of feel like they're better than you. Yeah. So one of the things that it, it does is it shows uh, that Kendall's experience... Well, I mean, again, it reminds us that she's not, she's not lived here for a long time. She's mm-hmm. been elsewhere. From a distance, all Americans are middle. You know what I mean? Right, like right. It, yeah, it's yeah. the you know. Yeah. Um, we cap this off with an exchange uh, where Jim's dropping her off at the hotel. Mm-hmm. She asks him to, if he wants to come up for a nightcap. Not tonight, but asks if she would like to do this again sometime, or would you be willing to, you know, get dinner again with me sometime, or something like that? Mm-hmm. And she says, "Willing, I insist." Yeah, second date. Mm-hmm. Nothing but trouble. uh back at the trailer rocky's sleeping on the couch but he says he just dropped off because the phone's been ringing off the hook (laughs) because the princess has been calling so jim had mentioned sometime in the last couple scenes that the tamales were not as good as they used to be yeah and so as rocky is telling him about the phone jim is dropping two (laughs) alka-seltzer in his cup with his distilled water the princess wants jim to call him call her back right away no matter how late and so Rocky, while waiting for Jim to soothe his stomach, also wants to know what the princess is like. Uh, did she have on anything special? What do you mean special? Well, you know, something uh, special, something that, well... Like a crown? <laughs> this is probably one of the most adorable things that Rocky's ever done, where he's fishing to hear about the princess's crown. Mm-hmm. This is all he really wants to know is he wants to find out about her tiara crown or whatever. And he is giddy as a proverbial schoolboy. Oh, that's great. Is she wearing anything special? What, what do you mean special? You know, like special. Special, yeah. <laughs> like like a crown. <laughs> um, Jim does call her... Uh, She's sure it wasn't a robbery. She wants to know that Jim is trying to find the man that attacked Kendall. And I did note that, you know, in the scene, she is framed as just looking awful. Like she looks exhausted. Yeah. She looks like she's been up all night and is very worried. All right. Our next day, uh, Kendall is bringing a picnic basket to Jim's. Uh, there's there's a lot here. Um, yeah. So the beats are... He Jim is stepping out with his fishing pole. Mm-hmm. Kendall's driving up an extremely fancy car with her big picnic basket. Mm-hmm. He is happy to see her, but it's kind of a bad time because he has plans. He doesn't know how long they're going to take. And he just finished a big breakfast, so he's not ready for lunch. And mm-hmm. he's like, well, we'll leave it in the fridge. 
And that's when Rocky yells out, you want any more flapjacks? Because <laughs> he has more batter, and they just had a big pancake breakfast. Um, Kendall loves to hear it. Uh, she's very interested in flapjacks. Hasn't mm-hmm. heard them called that called that since like she was you know a, a girl or whatever. And Rocky is more than happy to, to cook her up a short stack. So Jim comes back into the trailer, and he and Kendall kind of talk around Rocky while he's making pancakes, which is fantastic. Um, he comes around to saying, well, he can't make plans because he's going to be working, trying to track down the, as he says, bozo from the boat. Mm -hmm. She's in an interesting spot where I think she's kind of like, she apologizes for like pressing him on what he's doing. Cause like, okay, well, that's not in my business Mm -hmm. that you're working, but she also is kind of like, but it is my business because this guy did assault me. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, but she does thank him for what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And then asks him what he's going to do to to possibly find this guy. And Jim has a great plan, which is check out all the costume rental places because he had to get that monk's costume from somewhere. As he's explaining, he's taking an Oreo out of the cookie jar and he uh, yes takes a, a, a bite into it as she offers to help him cut a few corners. And they mm-hmm. both smile. Uh, the, the Oreo, there's something about that because he just talked about the big breakfast he had. Mm-hmm. You know what? Whoops, whoops amongst us. Right. Yeah. Hasn't, <laughs> hasn't just taken an Oreo from the cookie jar after a big breakfast. A little yeah. dessert Oreo. After your, after your flapjacks. <laughs> I also like how sure, like, yes, he was planning to go and, you know, work and do this, this thing, but he was going fishing first. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that part of his day, he does have to, uh, mm-hmm. to, to not do. Um, but then they, uh, Jim and Kendall run a con. Mm-hmm. Jim is at a costume rental place and is talking to the, the guy, uh, complaining about how nobody wants to do costume parties anymore. It used to be that that was, you know, they, they had, that was their stock and trade, but now it's all Halloween and the rest of the year is just like, you know, supplying movie studios. Jim's kind of encouraging him on complaining. Mm-hmm. He's kind of implying that he's like, on top of the party trends from Europe. Yeah. Like they're really big in London and, you know, we're, we're throwing a party for, you know, someone, someone, and he's interested in renting costumes. And the guys, we get the kind of logistical information that the company does like arranges the costumes so that there won't be duplicates. Like renting the costumes is like a full service. Like, mm-hmm. thing, right. Everyone that goes to the party is going to get a costume from right. them. Right. So you can make sure you're, there's no two Abraham Lincolns or whatever. Right. Right. Yeah. I think the specs, yeah, specifically says like they need someone to do it or else everyone is Henry the eighth, which is mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. weird poll, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Kendall then storms in scolding our costumer. Oh yeah. The duplications at her party. So she's the one who booked him to do the party on the boat. Like, yeah legit so she is now dressing him down for allowing two monks or two friars to mm-hmm. be at the party you know he says he only rented the one robe it's on the books she says oh what you wouldn't take take a couple bucks to have a costume off the books just to ruin yeah you know just to ruin <laughs> blake's party which is the kind of extremely petty thing that kind of does make sense <laughs> but he says he's not the only rag seller in town and she has a great well i'll remember that and looks at jim and you should too. And he's kind of like, yeah, you got a point. <laughs> so this guy, not wanting to lose his potential customer, gets on the horn and starts calling the other costume shops. And he'll find out who rented that second robe. This is this is wonderful. 
Um, my notes here are like, wow, Kendall's really putting it. Was this the plan? And I was like, oh, this is the plan. They're, yeah, yeah. they are 100% um, working together on this con. Yeah, and it, and it, and it executes to a T mm-hmm. as we cut to Jim and Kendall walking out of a warehouse with a name written down on a piece of paper. <laughs> uh, it's Richard uh, something. I think I wrote it down later. It's not super important. No. But she doesn't recognize the name. And she says that uh, she'll make it up to her her costume guy um, by insisting that the next party that she's that he's going to be doing for her be a costume mm-hmm. party. Yeah. And so he'll get hired to do another gig. So Jim is a little confused. Uh, he basically thought she was just another rich person. Right. But she's like, so you're a professional party giver? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what, what's going on? And she says that, no, she's a professional survivor. Mm-hmm. And we get her a bit of her situation, I guess, which is as she explains it. She says that she's she's broke and she probably always will be. But uh, like Irene will put her up in the hotel. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, you drove that nice car he's like well this friend lets me lets me borrow the car and yeah this friend flies me on the you know on first class and you know etc etc she so she's she's working favors for everything Mm -hmm. and he's like survivor huh (laughs) (laughs) and she specifically says that surviving doesn't doesn't mean you have to be down in a fourth floor (laughs) walk-up so we get a little bit more of a picture of her where again with it's an interesting lens on the class difference she she's running i don't know it's not running a con but she's 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 got a hustle she's got a hustle but it's it's kind of a she she's not rich in terms of money like she doesn't yeah like she doesn't have money right she says she's broke but she operates at a very high level in a cashless economy yes right yeah she's rich in that, that that's the class that she wanders around in and right. everyone else just pays her way and that's that works for her that that yeah and we get some more little details about this like we never get like some kind of sorted like mm-hmm. bullet point list but like she helps everyone do things she does things for people she enables them to do the thing they want so that they don't mm-hmm. have to worry about it yeah and in return they hook her up but it's like not an official thing she doesn't mm-hmm. work for anyone uh and the fact that she knows all these different people is what makes her valuable to everyone else mm-hmm. so she gets she gets to see it all she gets to live the lifestyle but she kind of doesn't have the i guess the downside of having to do anything with that money like she doesn't she's not responsible for anything either yeah so that's kind of the hustle <laughs> so jim is trying to track down this guy richard who rented the robe he goes to uh, a bar where he manages to talk to a woman who looks like she's she's doing some bookkeeping. Mm-hmm. Um, and he claims that he's from the costume company and he just wants to find out when they're going to get their specific robe back. Yeah, yeah. And so she says that, yeah, Richie, uh, yeah, she he had that for some lodge thing. Um, mm-hmm. And he came home and was soaking wet. And then she's like, but it was just water. It didn't shrink or anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but Jim was just looking for the confirmation, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's really academic now. I mean, we have a customer for the robe. It's our only genuine cappuccino. I thought maybe if he was through with it, I'd pick it up. But hey, I'll, I'll give Mr. Robinson uh, oh, one of the dupes, uh, maybe a Franciscan. Yeah, I mean, who's going to know the difference? Uh, thank you for your time. Sure. It's a it's a Rockford goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> like, once the once he gets the information easy, like, oh, no, actually, I didn't. Yeah, don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't worry about another thing. Just forget I was here. Yeah. 
<laughs> he then uh, goes to a hotel to join the California Brotherhood of Bartenders Mixing Contest. <laughs> we see our chain-smoking goon up in front doing some kind of mixology demo for mm -hmm. uh, these very bored-looking bartenders. And there's some great drama here because we see, you know, we see him see Jim Mm -hmm. And Jim just stares him down and we see him immediately start getting nervous. Yeah. And then he kind of stumbles in the explanation he's giving and then he just bolts for the back door. <laughs> so we have a bit of a foot chase up to the roof and I don't really know what I expected here. My notes are full of obscenities. <laughs> <laughs> I was shocked by what happened. But I think this is actually in the, is this in the preview montage? It might be. I, I don't know. I might be mixing it up because it might be in the syndicated second one. Oh, okay. Like, so I might be, because I just looked at that, so I might be mixing it up. But anyway, he chases him up to the roof, and there's this very dramatic standoff. There's a roofer up there doing work. There's, like, buckets mm -hmm. and, you know, stuff, including uh, a rope that's hanging off the edge of the roof. Richard turns around and yells at Jim not to come any closer, and he's backing towards the ed edge of the roof. And Jim puts his hands up. He's like, okay, I'm not coming any closer, which mm -hmm. is important. And then the roofer yells like, hey, no, that's not. And then we see Richard grab this rope that's going over a pulley mm -hmm. off the edge of the roof, but it's not tied to anything. And it just goes, shoom. That's it. Yep. <laughs> and he just drops out of sight. And then yeah. we have the upshot of the body falling from the roof. Mm -hmm. And then we cut back and, and we see the the empty pulley spinning uh, as the rope has pulled all the way through it. And, uh, yikes. I don't know what I was expecting, but I was not, not expecting, uh, uh, straight up death at this point. Right. I, yeah. You know, it is, uh, it's quite the escalation. Mm -hmm. We go to Jim on the phone. I think, well, he's, he's trying to call the princess. She's not answering. Um, he is dropping three Alka-Seltzers yes. <laughs> into his cup this time. Things are getting serious. Yeah, he's telling Rocky that he didn't hang around to find out what the police think. The roofer called it in. He didn't want to stay around for Chapman to get on his case. And there's a knock on the door, two guys with badges. Rocky <laughs> says that there's no reason to arrest Jim. Dad, did it ever occur to you that they're not arresting me? <laughs> and then we cut to Jim walking out onto a lineup. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, very dramatic scene. You know, we're coming back with a little humor to, to balance it out. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, so pretty serious. All right, let's take a little pause in the action here so that we can all sit back and catch our breaths. And Epi and I can let you know where you can find us elsewhere on the Internet. Because as it turns out, we do do other things than talk about the Rockford Files from time to time. Epi, where can our fine listeners find you and your work? You can find my work at www.worldswithoutmaster.com. That's worlds, plural, master, singular. Or at digathousandholes.com, with the thousand being numeral 1000. I like complex URLs. <laughs> you can also find me on Twitter at Epidia, E-P-I-D-I-A-H. Where can we find you, Nathan? The hub for all of my stuff, from games to zines to podcasts, is ndpdesign.com. I recently started a new podcast called Appendix NDP, which is a solo show where I talk about various topics in games and publishing. So I will plug that for listeners of podcasts. You can also find me on Twitter at ndpaoletta, P-A-O-L-E-T-T-A. 
and on Instagram at the same handle, though I probably will only have pictures of my dog. So, you know, that may be a plus. <laughs> <laughs> now we return to the adventures of Jimbo Rockfish on 200 a day. Lieutenant Chapman is going to be a big part of the story going forward. Yes. And he is with um, the roofer. The roofer is picking out Jim for the lineup. Mm-hmm. So we have we have a lot of Chapman. <laughs> Which is good. Are we are we fully into episode two now? Is that what's um... according to where the syndication, the scene before the syndication cut? We are not mm-hmm. yet at the end of the first episode. Wow. Okay. All right. I wonder if it got trimmed. Yeah, it, it would have had to have. I, I would think or mm-hmm. something because I we're a good chunk of the way there. I think. Well, we'll find out. Yeah. So Chapman, of course, is busting Jim. Um, mm-hmm. He has witness on the roof. Uh, putting Jim on the roof when the death occurred and his signature is on the hotel register. There's a running bit where Becker keeps wanting Chapman to read the guy's statement, the roofer's statement. (laughs) But Chapman has heard enough and tells him to, you know, cut him loose, uh, etc. Then we have a great Billings appearance where Billings not wearing a jacket. He looks kind of harried. (laughs) (laughs) No jacket. He has his tie kind of loose. And he's telling Chapman that he's been missing calls. Uh, there's a call from from Princess Rachevsky, and Chapman's like, "Uh huh. What did she call on a princess phone?" <laughs> but also a call from the British attaché and someone from the State Department. And that's when Chapman yells for Becker. They go out into the hall to find him. The roofer signing the statement, mm-hmm. and he, he tells the the roofing guy to go through it again. Um, and they go through the sequence of events until the phrase Rockford was nowhere near the man when he fell. Yes. <laughs> and apparently Chapman missed this detail this entire time, um, in his yen for, for getting Jim for something. Um, in a previous scene, uh, I think before Jim got arrested, he mentioned, you know, he doesn't want to deal with Chapman and it's like, I'm, I'm bored with something, something about Chapman. <laughs> and then here you're going to give me the client confidentiality two step. I'm bored with that. And Jim's like, Oh, you too. We then have a captain of some description uh, come down to see them with the princess and Kendall. And uh, he basically is like, well, everything's been sorted out, you know, kind of at this higher level. Yeah. But Chapman isn't done with Jim Rockford yet. The captain pulls Chapman out into the hallway to talk to him privately, (laughs) which is great, where he's like, look, I'm not going to tell you what to do. This is your case. Yeah. uh, And I'm going to leave you to navigate the white waters all by yourself. (laughs) But I do want you to know that the chief is going to be calling you. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you'll want to be ready to talk to him. Becker also wants the captain to read the statement. He leaves because he doesn't need to. Uh, Chapman p- pulls everyone into his office to talk, talk it out. But the important thing here is... I'm sorry you had to find out that one. So am I. Well, I couldn't tell you I was working for Irene. It was one of the conditions of employment. Obviously, you're very scrupulous in your work. If it's what I do, there's no point in being sore about it. I just wish you'd leveled with me, that's all. But I thought we'd come at least that far in our relationship, whatever that is. The whole scene is great. I I love the different pressures on Chapman and watching Chapman, watching it start to dawn on... Because Chapman's eating up the fact that he's got Rockford on a murder charge, Mm -hmm. right? Like, he's... He's got him. Yeah. And then watching that slip out from underneath him, it's just... And then there's this whole bit where Rockford is standing right next to the guy giving testimony about Rockford mm-hmm. that felt like, wow, that's not good. Like, they shouldn't <laughs> be doing that. Wasn't it just that Becker was reading the statement, though? Yeah, but no, but the guy was there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he was like, yeah, no, this guy didn't do anything. And it was just like, yeah. Yeah, it's good. Um, 
So, uh, you know, we kind of skip over whatever Chapman has to, to, to say to everyone. And we go to the parking garage. Uh, mm-hmm. where Kendall wants to take Irene back to the hotel. Irene's like, you, you need to get some rest. You've been through a thing. And they start fighting about being able to take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. We see a little bit of how they like can butt heads. Right. But Kendall says it's it's over. I don't know why he wanted to do anything, but, you know, this guy's dead now. Yeah, what can he do? But Jim isn't sure. What was he doing going after her in the first place? Was he hired, perhaps by someone she knew? Uh, that's the only thing that makes sense to Jim. They're going to have to keep an eye on the obits. I'm afraid to ask who we're going to be looking for. <laughs> we then cut to Rocky's house, where Jim is at the table looking through the obituaries. Yeah. As he wants to attend Richie's funeral, if he can find it. <laughs> we then have a fantastic angel appearance where he rolls in with his enormous lapels, <laughs> silk cravat. I call it a captain's jacket. I don't know if that's really the term, but it's like the three buttons with the anchors like, yeah. on the sleeves. Lord Evelyn Martin at your service, sir. Lord Evelyn. I thought I'd make myself a dupe, but I figured they'd be pushing it. Yeah, well, just a little. Dad, I'm going to go by the hotel and pick up the Kindle. I'll check in with you later. Mm-hmm. What is it with you, man? Every time I show up, you start rushing off somewhere. Kind of makes you think, doesn't it? <laughs> but Angel, of course, has a scam. Jim says no before even hearing it, but, but Angel's like, look, I just want you to make an introduction. I just want you to introduce me to the princess. It'll be 20% of at least $200,000. <laughs> Um, and there's an, a, a lovely con man, con game sentence here. Now, we both know you can't make a thin dime dealing with what people need. You got to give them what they want. Oh, so good. There's another line. I mean, Angel has a lot of beautiful lines in this oh, one, yeah. but I, I, I love the... I come up with a lot of scams in my day, right? But I give you my word, none of them touch this one. <laughs> As if Jim's concern was that it wasn't a good scam. Right, right, right. Against his better judgment, Jim's like, okay, what what, yeah. what do you have in mind? <laughs> he, he has something that involves selling them ponies. Yeah. <laughs> and Jim's just like, goodbye, Angel. <laughs> and he leaves, and Angel turns to Rocky and says, that is a man with no imagination. <laughs> and according to my brief look, this is the end of the first syndicated episode. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, all right. Which I guess, which is good because it means this next one starts out pretty strong. But yeah. I, I would have assumed it was before this. <laughs> like, I would have assumed it was either right after the guy falls off the roof or maybe after I thought we got at least that far in our relationship. Mm-hmm. But no, it's apparently here. Mm-hmm. So Jim and Kendall go to the funeral. And my first note is a lot of flowers, not many guests. And then yes. Jim's like, oh, not, not well attended. But what's with all the flowers? Looks like a gangster's funeral. Um, there's nobody Kendall recognizes, but Jim palms one of the note cards off of the flower arrangements. And it says, so long, pal, uh, <laughs> with the name of the, the flower shop. And yeah, he's like, this seems like the mob. Yeah. We go to Giuliano's Flowers. Uh, mm-hmm. And we get the second duo con. Oh, so good. Which is another <laughs> very good one. Kendall's sister called from London to make an order for a very distinctive arrangement. It was supposed to go to their cousin Bob, mm-hmm. but went to someone named Richard Sutterling, a total stranger. And so this guy at Giuliano's does have that order. And Jim's like, let me see that. Yeah. 
they have banter where to establish that you know the sister has a very particular taste and blah 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 blah. Um, so it's all good stuff. Uh, so he grabs the order slip and he sees that it was paid for by Tommy Manette. Oh, a Manette. A <laughs> Manette. Uh, well, we know what that means. Yes. We then have one of, I think, one of our good, memorable, tiny characters who's only here for a minute, but like mm-hmm. the older guy with yeah. the with the with the facial hair, <laughs> who who comes back and grabs the slip back out of Jim's hand, and it's like our clients are like our orders are confidential and our clients are confidential. <laughs> they leave, and he he scolds the younger guy. You told him, Mister Manetta, are those flowers? It was it was stupid. That's what it was. Stupid. And then he goes over and he, he sees the Firebird out the window and he takes Jim's license plate as they leave yeah. and then makes a phone call. But there's something about this guy with his, like, look. I yeah. don't know. I was just like, yeah, this is this is a wonderful television face. Like, just a memorable, memorable guy. There's a thing about it. Like, if we're to take the younger guy's word at it, the younger guy is the manager of the shop. Right, right. So this guy is clearly maybe his dad that is still hanging around the shop or, you know, sure. He's the manager, but that doesn't mean he's in charge. Right. right yeah, Cause if it's like yeah. a mobbed up, you know, situation, yeah, exactly. Jim and Kendall are in the car. This is taking some weird turns. And Jim explains that Manette, he's a mob guy. Mm-hmm. It was a mobster's funeral. Um, so this is getting real weird. This this guy has something to do with a garment union, but he's also into movies and discos and restaurants. Um, maybe someone you would know from like that angle. Mm-hmm. And Kendall says that she doesn't meet many monkeys. This is where we get the explanation. Yes. So Henri, the maitre mm-hmm. d' from the restaurant in the first scene, divides his clients into categories. Lions, tigers, monkeys, and dogs. But yeah, part of the dialogue here is... I think she says that royalty and most presidents are lions. In making president doesn't automatically qualify you? Oh, no. Jack Kennedy was a lion. Truman was a tiger. Oh, was he ever. And rock stars, actors, sports figures, people who tend to amuse by their presence, they're monkeys. Uh, Manette's not that amusing. But he's not a dog. Dogs are... I know who the dogs are. <laughs> Little Truman diss. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She asks what he's going to do about Manette, and Jim says that he's going to try to avoid him. Mm-hmm. A classic Jim tactic that won't work. <laughs> Back at the trailer, Rocky's going through leftovers in the fridge. Jim <laughs> tells him to help himself. He's not very hungry. He's been off his off his schedule. Mm-hmm. And there's a great Jim-Rocky bit here. Yeah. Rocky's like, well, I'm starting to think you don't even want to eat dinner with me. <laughs> Jim says, I just told you, my refrigerator is your refrigerator. Just have mm-hmm. whatever you want. Like, and it's very, like, sincere. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not that I don't want to eat with you. I just don't want to eat. Yeah. There's a lot of leftovers. Have whatever you want. It's, there's just, it's just one of those little moments that the two of them have that's, like, so endearing. And there's a bit here where Rocky makes it clear that he knows what a gigolo is. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that I don't know. That was just shocking to me. That's, that's uh, yeah, it's yeah. good. Yeah, because Jim's going through a list of like the inner circle, like the people mm-hmm. who Irene and uh, Kendall like know. <clears throat> he's going through names, and he's he he mentions someone, and he's like, oh well, that you know that he's a walker. Yeah, he's like a walker. Oh, a walker, just someone to walk around with you, you know, just to like make things legit and to like do things for you, so you don't have to do them yourself. And I think that's when Rocky's like, oh, like a gigolo. Yeah. No, Dad, a walker. Yeah. 
They talk about Freddie Danzig a little bit, um, gets around. He could have met Minette, but he owns a flower shop. That's like his character trait. He's a florist. So why would Minette order from Giuliano's instead of this guy if they're yeah. if they're in together? And there's another bit of the like really endearing moment where Jim Jim says that. Uh, oh yeah, and then there's a princess. You know what am I going to tell her? Dad, I've been I've been working for her and taking her money. You're not doing a very good job. Well, you've been doing the very best you could. Spoken like a relic. <laughs> that is when Jim gets a phone call from Tommy Minette himself. He wants to have a conversation to sort out why Jim is looking to his personal affairs. Uh, Jim, I guess, tries to come back at him a little bit. He's like, look, cards on the table. This is me being nice. I could have sent some guys. Yeah. You know, meet me at 45 minutes at this, you know, in this place. Um, Jim shows up with a friend of his, Charlie. Yeah. Who's uh, a big guy who's limping denies that he's limping <laughs> so i looked this up because mm, he's been in another episode but not i don't think as charlie um oh no he has been in no another. he was yeah, yeah, yeah he was in so yeah this this was brought up in some i think on a trivia or in the book or something but mm-hmm. so there's a season five episode where jim does a job for and then ends up dating a psychologist mm. like i think she's blind um and uh she has a stalker and he's like um black mirror i don't think we've done it yeah maybe, maybe we should put it on our list then but this character charlie jim hires him as a bodyguard and he gets busted up mm-hmm. and so now here he's saying that he appreciates all the jobs that jim gives him it's not his fault that charlie got busted up last time right and he was in the hospital for four months <laughs> What I because I, I missed I missed that he was in another like I checked and wherever I checked only had this Rockford Files episode listed IMDb is a mess but then I saw that the actor had been in many episodes of Maverick mm-hmm. yeah so I was like oh clearly they, they there's something here like maybe this is a reference to that but it is actually a reference to a, an old episode well maybe maybe we should do Black Mirror next yeah and there's actually a third one that he's in that I don't think it's the same character no. that we also have not done so. We could do all three of those. Mm, yeah. Interesting. A little rap on um, uh, Leo Gordon. Leo Gordon or Leo V. Gordon. Oh, he was in Big Top Pee Wee. I mean, he's got a, a look. Oh, yeah. No, he's a guy. I mean, he's a real. I mean, he was in a bunch of B movies and stuff, too. Uh, mm-hmm. Anywho. Yeah. So here he's he's clearly older than Jim. He's bald. He's walking with a limp. Yeah. <laughs> and this is the guy that Jim calls for backup. So we go inside where Minette is on the phone. So he's always on the phone. So mm-hmm. we see him calling. He calls someone, Helen, and tells her where he is and what his extension is so that yeah. if he gets any calls, they can get patched through. Um, he sees Jim with his buddy Charlie, says he's a disappointment. What are you, the <laughs> nervous type? Jim says, jumpy as a cat. <laughs> but he wanted a private meeting, so he snaps his fingers and goons just appear from nowhere. One of them <laughs> chops Charlie in the back of the neck and he collapses and two of them grab Jim. And then they shove his arms down on either side of a sewing machine needle, mm-hmm. like a table sewing machine. Uh, he doesn't want anyone poking around in his business. Uh, he kind of recaps like, I send flowers to a friend. Now this PI is poking around, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So this is basically his only warning. Uh, this stops now. He says it stops dead or <laughs> he'll deal him out on a more permanent basis. And that's when they uh, they, they sew Jim's cuffs together through the yes. sewing machine to punctuate these threats. And then they all leave and Jim's kind of stuck around it because his 
sleeves are now, you know, stitched around a central <laughs> point that he cannot get out of. So he calls for Charlie and Charlie <laughs> kind of groans and, and goes, I, I got you covered. <laughs> this is a good and well, a good threatening scene. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's good uh, Rockford Mafia. The, the sewing together of the sleeves is extremely good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very Rockfordy. We, we go straight to the police station where mm-hmm. Jim has made a complaint. Because yes. if there's one thing that Jim's going to do, it's tell the cops that the mob tried to threaten him. Yeah. He does say, uh, Chapman does ask him, what, you consider a sewing machine to be a deadly weapon? <laughs> but they mention that he says that whatever they hit Charlie with definitely wasn't meant to you know be a love, a love tap. Mm-hmm. Um, so Kendall's there. And Jim's play is kind of make this complaint, get Manette down there, and then Kendall can see if she recognizes him. Yeah. He brings his attorney, of course. And while they come in and they're having some business with Chapman, Jim looks at Kendall and Kendall's like, no, no, like doesn't recognize this guy. Before anything else, <laughs> Manette needs to make a phone call and he uses Chapman's phone and yes. he calls, you know, whoever and, and leaves Chapman's number and extension. <laughs> In order to call him back. He denies everything, of course. Uh, Jim shows him his sleeves where they've been cut apart, where they were stitched. So they're just big floppy, you know, ruined sleeves. Faulty workmanship? I do a little work for one of the garment unions. Everyone takes me for a clothes maven. Lieutenant, if there isn't anything else. (laughs) Manette gets a phone call on Chapman's phone. (laughs) Kendall has a moment where this captain is like passing by and she comes out and and asks how how everything's going and she says that things are not moving along well yeah she puts the pressure on yeah and and minette and the lawyer leave i mean there's nothing they can do like Mm -hmm. i have six guys who will tell you where i was at that time and it wasn't there you know so they leave uh chapman reassures them that he's not dropping the case once he gets charlie's statement but then jim reveals that poor charlie is in a coma at the hospital Mm mm-hmm we go to Minette on the phone in the lobby. He's explaining to someone like, yeah, they hauled me down here. Nothing's going on. You're clean and I'm going to keep it that way. And I was kind of expecting Jim to like overhear this or something, but this is just for us. Yeah, th- there's a couple moments in this episode that that act like that, that we keep expecting. I keep expecting them to be textual clues for Jim, mm-hmm. but they're actually just letting the audience in on something that Jim doesn't know about yet or hasn't seen. Yeah. This fits right in with that thing that I love is whenever uh, the villains of the piece have clear pressures on mm-hmm. them as well. Um, there's someone putting pressure on the net. Right. Don't. Ooh. Yeah. So I think we are getting the picture of, so this guy, Manette probably hired Richie, but Minette is doing it for, on behalf of someone else. It, yeah. So now the next level of the mystery is like, okay, so who's, who's the boss? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now where's this all coming from? Um, in the parking garage, uh, Kendall and Jim have a conversation where she tells, she, she says he should get out of town mm-hmm. and she offers, she's like, my friends have this like Casa somewhere like the French Riviera or something. Where they can put Jim up. Uh, they'll do do it as a favor, and you know, oh, do you do you have someone who works at the travel agency to you know, get you tickets? She's like, no, nah, travel agency is only good for VIP lounge and uh, and first class upgrades or something. What they do is they use a courier service for tickets. So right. you are a courier, and you get a first class round trip ticket to deliver a small package or a letter. It's legitimate business for these mm-hmm. rich people, but you know, you get to travel in style. And Jim has this moment where he goes, 
you really don't need money, do you? <laughs> yeah. uh, reinforcing kind of what I was talking about earlier, where it's sure she's broke, but she's operating in a different economy. Yeah, yeah. Um, he almost wishes he could take her up on it, but you know, maybe Kendall should should get out of town. Um, she's she's still not out of whatever the situation is, but he's starting to like having her around, and they have big smiles. Then they see Minette leaving, and Jim's like, ah, maybe if I follow him, I can you know knock something loose. Tells Kendall to take a cab, but she likes being around, so they better get going or they're going to lose him. <laughs> they follow him to a big old nice house, and then there's time to wait uh, until something happens. We have more wonderful banter. Yeah, it's good stuff. You do a lot of this new work? Oh, yeah, surveillance, looking through old newspaper clippings, the Hall of Records, making sure my trench coat's clean. Sounds exciting. What do you do with your time? Well, you don't think I'm going to lay it all out there for your disapproval. He has, he's under some misapprehension that she, like, is just working this kind of gig because it's, you know, how, how she can get by or whatever. But she says that she likes her friends and she likes her lifestyle, even if that's not what Jim wants to hear, right? Jim wants to hear that she's, like, taking advantage of them, right? Like, yeah. using them for her own ends. And she's like, no, this is my life. I like it. <laughs> yeah. And she says that he might like it, too. And he agrees that he might, but then he wants to get out of the car and go for a closer look at the house. And Kendall, of course, insists on coming along. <laughs> and they go up and they spy through some windows and we see Minette in, in his dressing gown on the phone. This guy's always on the phone. Always on the phone. And he pours himself some wine and then he gasps and starts choking. <laughs> he, he falls down and scrabbles for the door and Jim runs over, but it's locked and he can't open it. And then he finally punches out a pane of glass to open the door, but it is too late. This is a close to a running gag in this episode where when Jim gets close to someone, they're just mm. going to keel over. They're just going <laughs> to die. Uh, Chapman is in a bad mood. He spent <laughs> two hours with the coroner and no, he does not want any of Becker's coffee. <laughs> um, I do think it's funny. So Jim and Kendall are with Becker at the station. He's, you know, keeping their spirits up by offering them coffee. And he knows how Chapman takes it. He's like, black with two sugars? <laughs> <laughs> so now we get amazing Chapman and Jim banter. Watch this expression. This is where Chapman puts two and two together and comes up with bumpkus. Jim, stay out of this, Becker. What's the matter with you two? Stay out of this, Kendall. Now you stop trying to beef me with everything that comes across your desk. I came in here to report a crime. I didn't commit one. That's under investigation. Wait a minute. You two obviously have a relationship that's fraught with emotion. At any other time, I might find it fascinating. But tonight I saw a man die, and that's what I want to hear about now. <laughs> Chapman wants to keep it confidential, but she'll tell the princess, who will tell mm -hmm. the governor. And Chapman's like, fine. And he just gives up the details of the poison, which is that it's this substance used in silver plating jewelry. And it was in the bottle of fancy. I think it's the same wine that she that the princess drinks. Yeah. Like it's, it was in this bottle of fancy wine. Um, Chapman leaves and Becker does a classic telling Jim not to piss off Chapman. But specifically, for one thing, you're turning up too many stiffs. It's a great line. I agree. He mm -hmm. is. It, this is a very, watch the episode. It's a great scene because mm -hmm. Kendall is exactly right. Everything in this scene with Chapman and Jim is just the fact that they, they hate each other. They just hate each other. They just can't yeah. stand getting thrown into each other's orbit again and again. And they're completely ignoring the, the facts mm -hmm. of the case in order to, to snipe. 
they are now at the hotel with Princess Irene, uh, and they're talking through everything, and they just don't see any connection between the mobsters and Kendall. Mm-hmm. Jim asks who they might know in the garment industry, who deals with clothes, designers, models, photographers, magazines, and they start naming magazines. <laughs> and Jim snaps on one name, Fashion Forecast. That's the newspaper that Gus publishes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, remember Gus? <laughs> <laughs> They don't know what the motive might be. Let's put that aside for now because Gus's beef should be with Irene because Irene is suing yeah. his paper. But what if Gus knows this garment union mob guy through the fashion mm-hmm. industry, asks him to deal with Kendall for some reason, and then killed him after he got involved with the police so that he wouldn't get outed? Um, still needs to find out more. Uh, but what are they going to do about Kendall in the meantime? Uh, the princess wants to hire bodyguards, and I might have missed a, a detail here, but I think they're going to hire bodyguards anyway, but then Jim is also going to hide her at Rocky's. Yeah. So the, the bodyguards are kind of a misdirect. Um, over at Rocky's, he's cleaning out the spare room for her, <laughs> and she apologizes, but Jim says that he's been trying to get Rocky to clear that room out for a year. Yeah. At some point, it's mentioned that the lawsuit is mm. for $35 million. Dollar yeah. that floored me. Yeah, it's huge. It's enormous. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's in the scene because so first there's a there's a nice bit kind of showing the other side of Kendall's lifestyle where mm-hmm. she says, "Oh, it must be nice to have a home base." Yes, like Jim can always come to Rockies if he needs to. Yeah. And that there's something cozy about junk. Like she doesn't have any, like she gets rid of everything every time yeah, she yeah. moves. So, but there's something cozy about junk. And he says, that, well, he has a garage for her. <laughs> yeah. And he asks about the lawsuit and Kendall says it's really solid. It was a definitely liable. Like Gus just mm-hmm. did not do a fact check before publishing the story and he's going to lose this suit and it's $35 million. Yeah. So why isn't he trying to kill the princess? Uh, who knows? Great flirting banter. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of is talking about how like Rocky is a real good with like, you know, warm milk before bedtime, you know, taking care of people and stuff. Yeah. Like, telling you everything's going to be all right. Uh, Kendall asks Jim if everything is going to be all right. And he assures you, assures her, yes, everything's going to be all right. And they lean in for a kiss, mm-hmm. which is broken up by Rocky coming out of the room and offering them warm milk. <laughs> She goes to bed, but Jim follows her, and they do indeed sneak in a kiss as she goes into the spare room. Rocky tells Jim that she's an awful nice lady. Kind of reminds Jim of the girl who married dear old dad. Yes. As Jim says. Rocky's like, they're not, they don't have the same style, and they don't look the same, but they kind of have the same quality. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Jim, Jim's like, no, they don't. Yeah. I know, the, I know what you're trying to do. You would have had me married 18 times by now. <laughs> the old shoes and rice routine, which is a great way to put it. We then have another seriously ominous sequence. It's it's the morning. It's still dark. Mm-hmm. We see a pair of shiny shoes coming out of a car and then a backlit goon poking around the windows. And we're cutting inside and we see that Kendall's asleep in the bed. Jim's asleep in a chair. And the the lighting in this, I think, is really perfect. Yeah. Because it's like we see that as clearly someone nefarious so there's something about it where we kind of see that they're wearing a black jacket mm-hmm. and i was like is this going to be a gag where it's angel because angel was wearing a black jacket yeah, yeah. in his first appearance I was like, is this going to be some weird gag where it's angel but then we have a close-up of their hands on the window and it's clearly not angel's hands i was like okay no this is really a goon yeah this is this is a bit ominous yeah and then he finds the right window and he opens it and he comes in 
sometimes sometimes in these shows like someone's in shadow but like we know who it is or Mm -hmm. they're in shadow so that the person in the scene doesn't know who it is but the audience knows who it is and in this case he's lit so that we literally cannot see who this person is and then as he comes further into the room we see that he's bald yes (laughs) that i think the timing is exactly right at least for me because i'm like wait is this gus because yeah there's been two bald men in this episode charlie and gus and charlie is taller than this guy in in a coma (laughs) yes that's when he moves more into the light we see it is gus and he grabs a pillow Mm -hmm. and then kendall wakes up just in time to let out a a, a short scream before he shoves it over her face and and this is where we get what i consider one of the top 10 greatest stunts of all time, which is a man of Jim Rockford's age who fell asleep in an easy chair, <laughs> jumping straight up. <laughs> I witnessed that happen. And I was like, I, I couldn't, I couldn't do that to save my own life. let alone someone else's. <laughs> Spry as a chicken, as a spring yeah. chicken pops up, runs into the room, gives Gus a good punch across the face, <laughs> pulls the, the pillow off of Kendall. Asks him why, and he says, he didn't want to, but she forced him. She said if he killed Kendall, she'll drop the suit. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. This is the part where this episode, uh, at this point, takes a little bit of a weird jag, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we're going to start to get more and more of just seeing what Irene is doing and where she's going. And, like, from this point on, you're... I'm like, oh, okay, so it's Irene. Yeah. And I'm not even really thinking, well, then why did she hire Jim? Like, what's what's going on? Because it just gets a little weirder and weirder as it goes. I was thinking about, um, again, I was thinking about this in the final scene mostly, but I, I agree that there's a turn here and it really, part of it is spinning out the plot mm-hmm. or the rest of the plot, such as it is. But part of it is a real pivot from a mystery episode to a character portrait yeah episode and it really goes from plot to vibes <laughs> yeah 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 no exactly I, I think i've said that a lot for this episode but it, it feels it, it feels like that because from here on if we continue really thinking about the plot events and the motivations it gets more and more tenuous mm-hmm. i think but the vibe is strong so yeah. it didn't lose me yeah, no, I, I agree. Yeah. Maybe we'll go through it and then maybe we'll we'll talk about what those differences are. But we're we're pretty deep into our final act here. Before we get to the real ending, we do have the payoff for the Angel subplot. Oh, yes, yes. So this is a scene that starts off with Dennis and Angel, and mm-hmm. we're just watching them, which again yes. is unusual and kind of fun, where Angel has been pulled in and he told the booking clerk that he's friends with Dennis. And so Dennis got, <laughs> so he pulled a Rockford. And yeah. so Dennis got hauled down on his night off. And then Jim comes in because Dennis wants to know if Jim can shed any light on why Angel has eight Shetland ponies in a residential garage. <laughs> uh, in Angel's defense, it's a three car garage and he mm-hmm. left the lights on for them. Yes. <laughs> uh, and he wants Jim to tell Dennis that his princess got Angel into this. Mm-hmm. Dennis, he's like, I'm here on a murder investigation. I don't have time for this. Uh, <laughs> you got yourself into this, Angel. You always do. And he leaves. This is robbery homicide. Let's move it down to Bunko. Bunko? Why? Because I'm unfamiliar with your zoning laws? Because besides finding the eight ponies, we found a forged British passport and a letter of recommendation from Queen Elizabeth. Let's go, Duke. <laughs> it's 
it is really good. It's extremely funny and so beside the point. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we now have a scene where Princess Irene and uh, her man Freddy arrive. They tell Kendall they're just glad that she's all right, and she Mm -hmm. wants to talk to Gus herself. So Chapman obliges. Gus says that Irene called all the shots, told him where to find Kendall. That's how he knew to go to Rocky's house. She told him that if he killed Kendall, she would drop the lawsuit. Mm -hmm. And then she denies it, of course. Uh, She's like, you're just trying to smear me again. Uh, And he's like, you must have planned for this either way, whether it worked or not. Which, you know, he's right. Yeah. Um, they, you know, finish the conversation and J- Jim kind of catches up to Kendall in the hallway and she's like, oh, at last he speaks. So I guess he's been pretty, pretty quiet. Uh, she's not happy that he ran to Chapman immediately with all of this. And he's like, yeah. you haven't considered that he could be telling the truth and Irene could be lying. Yeah. He tried to kill you, <laughs> but she will not consider the possibility. There was a moment in here where I was I was wondering, like, because because. Kendall seems to be on Irene's side, right? Yeah. And I was like, is this, is she acting so that they can kind of deal with it later? Well, so they can like get Irene, like make Irene think that they don't suspect her in order to trap her or something. Yeah. yeah. Like, is she, like, is she playing it cool? But she actually does not think that Irene would do this and thinks that Gus is just lying about everything. But Kendall, because Jim won't let it go. Mm-hmm. thanks for everything it's all over adios and he says adios mm-hmm. we then go to freddie and irene and i think this yeah as yeah, you say, this, this is, is the first good. time where we see her without jim around right mm-hmm. so they're driving around he says like you don't like to be out at night let's go back to the hotel but she wants him to drive uh and she's saying that everything's changed so much she doesn't recognize anything and now we're like, and that's echoing how Kendall described, you know, being back in L.A. after all these years yeah. or whatever. She's, she steers Freddie towards uh, uh, a field where we have headlights on the, uh, um, I forget how they pronounce it, but that is it? Simi Valley. Sim- Simi Valley. I think that might be it. Yeah. There's headlights on the Simi Valley High School uh, sign on this football field. And they drive onto the stadium field and she slowly walks out and we have marching band music coming up so we're now in her psychoscape yeah you can hear a crowd uh and it's very internal it is meant for us to know that she is hearing this yeah echoing over time freddie wants to go home and she and irene asks if he loves her and he has this great like sure i do yeah <laughs> And then there's a beat and he's like, I mean, of course I love you. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay, let's go. And he's like, oh, you, this is something else is going on here. Yeah, yeah. She starts talking about someone named Alex who never disappointed her from birth. He knew what he was supposed to do. And now that he's gone, she has Freddie. I don't remember if this was this character was mentioned earlier. I don't, like, I, I, my note is who is Alex? Yeah, maybe in the barest of passing of like, yeah. Freddie's her new beau mm-hmm. after Alex or something. But yeah, I think this might be totally fresh. But she says that Alex would do anything for her. And then she asks Freddie to kill Kendall. Mm-hmm. And Freddie's like, come on, I'm a florist. <laughs> Alex would have killed her. Is it because you don't love me enough? Do you know how much money I have? What you thought about it? Money can buy freedom. By innocence. 
buy anything you want. Don't tell me it's not going to buy me things. Irene then calls Kendall from a payphone at the field, and she plays up her being like alone and afraid. She's out in the dark. Mm-hmm. Um, she wanted to see the place where it all started. Uh, you and me, you turned to me at halftime and said, I hate football, <laughs> but now it's so dark and, and I'm scared. And Kendall says like, she's like, oh, she knows exactly where she is. Right. And she's like, yeah. you stay there. Um, I'm on my way. She arrives. Irene is up in the stands. We see Freddie cocking a gun. And then we have this kind of not confrontation even. What a horrible place this is. I never belonged here. Never. That's why we got out, Winnie. But you never let me get out. Not all the way. Always reminding me. Always threatening to tell. That isn't true, Rini. I never threatened to tell anyone. Indirectly. I think the interesting thing here is that, well, so there's two beats. One is, she says that, uh, I'm not drunk. And Kendall says, I didn't say you were. And Irene's like, you implied by your tone. (laughs) And then a couple lines later, she says, you would never let me get away from this place. Not really. Yeah. I never threatened that. I would never do that. And she says, well, indirectly. It's an indirect threat. (laughs) And she's not going to live with that threat any longer. Freddy has the gun. He levels it. And then Jim jumps out with his own gun. Don't do it, Freddy. Uh, and Freddy, of course, not actually wanting to do it, I think. Yeah. Right? Like, is more than happy to be interrupted. But then Jim just punches him out anyway, which is... I, my note is, this is an unnecessary punch, but that's fine. Um, he runs to Kendall. He tells her, see, it wasn't over. And then the marching band music comes up again as Irene comes <laughs> down the stairs and says that, I knew you'd destroy me, Kendall. I knew it from the start. And... She walks out to the center of the field with this voiceover. I am not Irene Pinchuk from Simi Valley. I won't have them all laughing at me. I am a princess. Yeah, so it, it is unclear to me exactly what's going on here, unless the whole business, all of it, from top to bottom, is a con that Kendall and Irene have been running on the wealthy since high school. I I think so. My evidence, which is super circumstantial, yeah. is uh, all about how Irene, as well as Kendall, again, know the value of a dollar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They know sort of the working class concerns that Jim would have. Right. But what I don't get... and you know, maybe this is just a thing that will always be in the air, is why Jim was hired. Mm-hmm. Except to maybe completely exonerate her. Because she wouldn't look guilty if she hired the person mm-hmm. to protect her friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's... Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, these are going to be open questions. I right. Think. There are open questions. I think... Uh... Yeah, let's talk about Irene for a second and then finish mm-hmm. out because there's like a couple wrap up scenes and then maybe yeah, yeah. talk about like kind of the plot stuff. So my read is that, yes, it is a con in the sense that not in the sense that there's a big payoff at the end and we all and mm-hmm. we go off back to our real lives. The con is changing like Irene changed herself into this yeah. new person. And I think the fact that we are told earlier in the episode that you can buy titles I think also feeds into that. Like she is a princess. Yeah. But 
the implication here is that it, she bought that somehow. Yeah. Like, you know, like she is whatever Irene Pinchuk from Simi Valley by birth, but she mm-hmm. has, they made a plan to get out. And however that ended up working out, she became a princess and Kendall became Kendall. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> whether that was a plan from the beginning, whether they both were aiming for one thing or the other, like who knows? Um, and then I guess we're kind of getting the portrait of like, and yet I am now speculating based entirely on my read of <laughs> yeah. these characters, which is, I think what I was saying earlier about how Kendall doesn't need money, but she also, and she also doesn't have responsibilities. Mm -hmm. Somehow that has made her more free than Irene, who is, who is a a princess and is feted and lauded and Mm -hmm. pampered and taken care of, but she doesn't feel like she's free. Yeah. And I think that's the root of her turning, I don't know, the resentment that, turns her on Kendall like like what will make me free is taking away the one person who can destroy me right right um and of course it is you know the seat of her own undoing it's very poetic dr- dramatic etc there's a little on the one hand it's like I, I kind of would have liked to see a little bit more from Irene maybe earlier mm-hmm. so that this made a little more sense like I guess character continuity wise but on the other hand the fact that it just shifts at the end is kind of a strength of the episode <laughs> I, I like it it's 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 a nice eerie uh, um, to be fair i've been watching like a lot of agatha christie things mm-hmm. where this stuff that comes out of the blue yeah is is part of the 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 mystery and it's fine so I, i'm inured to it or whatever mm-hmm. but i do kind of like it it's it i like that it shifts just to vibes it's perfectly mm-hmm. fine that it does that yeah. for me so the last, you know, couple scenes here. Uh, speaking of vibes. Speaking of vibes. <laughs> um, Jim is looking for a pin that Kendall can't find at mm-hmm. Rocky's. And Rocky, I think, again, in something that we've seen many times, anytime you lose something, you come looking for it here and tear apart my cushions or tear about <laughs> my couch, uh, which is 100% something that Jim does. Usually it's his wallet or his keys, but mm-hmm. in this case, it's uh, Kendall's pin. It was a present from Irene, and Rocky says, well, he wouldn't want it. But I think we all see this from having watched the episode. But, like, Irene's a big part of her life, right? It's not like she can just abandon everything about her. Yeah. Um, Rocky doesn't understand, uh, of course. And Jim says that Irene hated her past and wanted to kill it. Which is like, yes, it still doesn't (laughs) clarify anything. (laughs) It gets us part of the way there. Yeah. And he's going to go see Kendall. She's trying to see Irene at the hospital. And Rocky's like, well, afterwards, maybe we can go to dinner. Just family. <laughs> you never give up, do you, Dad? And then we end with Jim and Kendall uh, at the trailer. Irene wouldn't see her, uh, you know, refusing to see her. You know, kind of the tone of like, I tried, but <laughs> things are probably over. Her courier service friend could get her on a plane to Paris on Saturday. And Jim says she should give California a chance. She might like it. And then Rocky rolls up, honking and waving out the window and tells him not to wander off too far. He's cooking up flapjacks. (laughs) Nothing fancy, strictly family. And we have a great freeze frame on Jim and Kendall smiling as she kind of leans into his shoulder. And just a lovely visual of James Garner and Lauren Bacall being great. Yeah, it's great. And that's the end of the episode. And also, uh, having personally enjoyed flapjacks for dinner recently, mm. recommend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
The hell of an episode. Yeah. What I said back at the beginning of like, I remember the first and last scene, like I remember the restaurant and the, how Jim was being passed over for the reservation and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And then I remembered the football field, like yeah. the football field in the dark. And I'm like, that's, <laughs> that's the climax. But I didn't yeah. remember what happened. <laughs> yeah. And, and there's not much in between uh, between those two scenes to show you the connective tissues. Right, right, yeah. There's connective tissues in the episode itself, but if you just have those two scenes there, it's a little bit like, you might be asking yourself <laughs> how I got here. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and there's... Hmm. So I think there are some pre- I think there's some criticisms of this episode, and you see them in like the user the yeah. IMDb reviews and stuff of kind of like the ending kind of comes out of nowhere. I didn't feel at any point like there was padding, but mm-hmm. it also could have been a single episode. I think longer episodes are surprisingly more susceptible to endings coming out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. If if the episode's going well, there's a certain comfort zone you get in mm-hmm. where you're like, well, this could just keep going and going and going, right? Where uh, shorter episodes, when the ending comes out of nowhere, you're like, well, they only have 45 minutes to tell this whole story. Right, 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 yeah. Time. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it does kind of come out of, like the, it's sort of the moment of um, Gus's confession in the bedroom mm-hmm. and it's just like lays it all out. And then we have to, all of us have to come to terms with it uh, pretty quickly. But I think like we hit the things you need to do to show that those characters either are or aren't going to come to terms with the right. reality of the situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think the 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 character like... The character through lines are very clear. Mm -hmm. You do have to kind of backfill based on the ending for Irene. Yeah. Um, But like, it's not like she's ever presented as being particularly stable. Right. Like, they're always talking about how she, you know, she's she doesn't like to be at at night. She doesn't like to Mm -hmm. leave the hotel. She doesn't like to have people around her. Right. Like she's kind of presented as this kind of nervous, um, you know, possibly, uh, like agoraphobic. Yeah. I don't know if that's the right one person. Um, so the fact that she has been losing some kind of grasp on, I don't know, sanity or, um, her ability to separate the past from the present. Like that's not a huge leap once we know the end. Yeah. And, and you can, you can infer from there that part of this is that, um, again, it's not necessarily a con, but the way that uh, uh, Kendall and Irene have been living pivots on Irene being a princess. Right, yeah. So there's a, there's a pressure there that Kendall probably has no uh, no, no idea about, or, or if she has no direct experience with. Yeah. Like, it, it's just a pressure on her friend. Um, and Yeah, and she's a little blinded by the, like, she's very invested in the fact that no matter what, the two of them are in it together. Yeah. Right? Like, she has a special relationship with Irene. Yeah. Because of their origin. And she's like, that. this means we can never be broken apart. We're always going to be together in this. But Irene sees the special relationship as, this is the only person who can hurt me because you're the only person close enough. Yeah. And like, that's a pretty compelling dichotomy. There's a line where Jim says, like, they, they kind of try to lampshade a little bit where it's like, it's around when he says he hated, she hated her past and, and wanted mm-hmm. to kill it. But it's like, 
friends kill friends, husbands kill wives. Like it happens yeah. every day. <laughs> you know, like people who are close kill each other, and sometimes there's not a good reason. And he's not wrong, mm-hmm. but it's almost too real for TV. Like because it's TV, we want there to be some kind of character or plot logic, some motive. We always talk about yeah. motive and and motivation and. In this case, because we learned the motive, or not even the motive, but I think the motivation so late, it that's part of the kind of like, oh, that's what's going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's pretty com- complex. Like, I think there's a lot of layers to it. Like, it's not just like, oh, we just had to salt. We just had to finish this episode. Like, I think it's on purpose. Yeah. I think it's totally intentional how it's laid out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just kind of playing with some playing with how those relationships have been established. And I think there's... um. You know, we we talked about how, you know, Lauren Bacall is just like effortless in this and it's so fun watching her and, and Garner and everything. But there is a bit of a low key MVP award to Dana Winter for Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah. For her load bearing role in, yes. <laughs> in, in in it. Because so so Lauren Bacall is like an actual golden age Hollywood actress, right? Mm-hmm. And Dana Winter is more of like a B movie person. Mm-hmm. She was in the the Fifty Eight Body Snatchers, like she's like yeah. the the lead in that, you know. And she's in a, a bunch of TV and stuff. But in this episode, she's kind of playing a character from a golden age movie, like even with like the accent and yeah. and everything, pronouncing the H and what what. And she also seems fairly effortless, I think, in mm-hmm. that. And we learn that it is all an act because she is from California, like. She she does a she does a good job and I think yeah. that should be recognized as well. The other like I think pivotal thing that doesn't quite catch because there's a red herring going on with it. Um, when Jim and Kendall go out to eat at uh, the Baja Cantina, yeah, and then spend the day together, she's been calling and talking to Rocky. Uh, and then, like, we, she's very, very nervous, a lot of nervous energy around this whole thing, which fits with the fact that she wants to be on top of Jim's investigation. Right. So that she's not found guilty or he's found something pointing to her. Right. When she leaves Irene and Jim at the party, the murderer has been chased off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, yeah, it's good. I, yeah. I think it's it's well put together. It's a thinker. It's definitely. Um, I think this episode, in some respects, fits a little better in first season. Hmm. Uh, in that it, the first season, you got a little bit more of the um, uh, a little less of a formula yet to work on. Sure. Yeah. Certainly, it actually does fit at the sixth season because of all the great stuff with the different characters, Rocky and Angel, and whatnot. So the first season, there's a little bit more like. This is a PI show. We're going to do mysteries, I think. Yeah. Like, yeah. And there's like a mystery in this one that a lot of the later season ones kind of don't really bother like with like a mystery in that way. Yeah. Um, I kind of see that for sure. I don't know. There's some kind of like plot stuff like how is it so easy to like kill Manette? Yeah, there, there's things that are in, out in the open there. There's a but... couple things that are kind of like, hmm. I do think like I like I love Angel and I think Stuart Marglin's really chewing the scenery for all he can yeah. in his appearances here. But also the that subplot's kind of eh. Yeah. I'm not sure how much it adds. But that that is all all kind of secondary to like the real this is just a real fun one to watch that also is surprising. Yeah, I agree with that. So there's quibbles and, and whatnot, but uh you know, we always say that we like the characters and this is 
good characters and a good story and it's just uh, it's good television yeah what else do you want what else do you want <laughs> um well i suppose the only other thing that we would want is to watch another episode of the rockford files sometime <laughs> so with that uh we will we will jump off the boat of this very long episode though i think totally worth worth the watch if you have mm-hmm. uh 96 minutes to watch the un uh syndicated version and uh yeah maybe go get some some fancy food maybe drink some alka-seltzer yes <laughs> but we will be back next time to talk about another episode of the rock Files. <laughs> Ding, ding, ding. All right. Push, 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 push.